Pray with me, would you? Father, we commit this time to you. Pray and ask that you would give us grace to hear and grace to speak your word, the words of life, the gospel. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have been with us the past couple of weeks, we've covered four points related to this theme of the gift of life. The gift of life is the greatest gift that we can receive. And we have pictures to go with it, so in case you weren't making the connections or we weren't making them well enough for you, uh, the first picture represents that God created us to be with him. That is, life equals a love relationship with God. That is what life is. Life is being designed by God to be in relationship with him. That's what he created us for. The second point in the second picture is that our sins separate us from God. That is, death equals the fact that we are separated from God by sin. Sin kills us. Sin killed us spiritually, and we inevitably die physically. And so that's what death, the big picture is death is separation from God. Our sin separated us from God. The third picture is that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We naturally think that by, by nature we just wired to think if I just work off my sin or if I do enough good I can outweigh my good with my bad or bad with my good, sorry. Uh, and, and the Bible makes it clear that all of our righteous deeds, even our good deeds, are like filthy garments in God's sight because he's a perfectly holy God. And so we're like garbage people who strew our garbage all over the place before this holy God. And then finally, the last point that we covered last week is that paying the price for sin Christ died and rose again. Christ is the only one who could pay the price for our sins and and give us the victory over sin and death through his resurrection. And so that's what that fourth picture is. So today we're going to look at the theme of answering this question, how can we have eternal life? So we've talked about that somewhat in these last couple of weeks. We're going to really focus on that message today. And the first point that we're going to look at today is that everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. Everyone who trusts in Jesus has eternal life. And familiar verse, if you don't know any other verse in the Bible, you may know this one, John 3.16. It's on a lot of t-shirts of football games. You may have read it there. John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So four connects with the two verses before that, John 14 and 15. And in those two verses, what Jesus talked about was, he said, even like Moses raised the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so Israel was complaining and griping, God sent fiery serpents among them and began killing them with the venom. And they said, pray for us, we're dying. And so Moses prayed to God, and God said, make a bronze serpent, the symbol of their suffering for their sin, their penalty for their sin, and hold it up. So he made a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, and whoever looked at the serpent would live. Jesus said just in that same way, the Son of Man, that is him, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up on the cross. And that flows into John 3.16. That's what the, the word for, God so loved the world, for the reason the Son of Man, Jesus, was going to be lifted up on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, as we saw last week, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again was that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What moved God, who is perfectly holy and righteous, perfectly 
holy and righteous in every way, infinitely holy, and who hates sin to give his son to take God's judgment that we deserved on himself. What could God, how could God do that? I, I thought the same phrase that Sherry used a few, few minutes ago, crazy. It's just crazy kind of love. It doesn't make sense. Um, and the answer is in the scripture that God loved the world. Even though this world is full of sinners, God loved the world. He hates sin, but he loves the world. God so loved the world. God loved the world so much. God loved the world with an intense kind of love. It, it just defies logic. We can't explain how God could love the world. God loved the world so much that he gave the best gift to the world. Of course, that is why at Christmas we give gifts. And the world would like us to give gifts of perfume, pearls, power tools, and pajamagrams. But we know that the greatest gift is Christ of all. And so he is the only one who can give us life. We can't find life in any, anyone or anything else but Christ. No gift can even come close to that. So again, how could God, who hates sin with an intense everlasting hatred, I mean, he really hates sin because he's perfectly holy. He can't stand it. How can this same God love the world that's full of sinners? We can't fathom the depths of God's love that he would give his only unique, one-of-a-kind son with whom he had perfect love relationship from the foundation of eternity past and who shared his very same nature. He had a perfect relationship, shared the same nature as God, through whom he created the world. To a rebel world, he sent his son to take the death sentence deserved by the world. So imagine a judge who uh, had a death sentence to pass out to a criminal. A judge pronounces a death sentence on a criminal because of a prearranged plan with his son, his only son. His son takes the death penalty in his place. That is a, an amazing, incredible kind of love. That would just never happen in this world. But that's the kind of love that God had for us, sent his son in our place to take our death sentence in our, in our place. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it says in one scripture. Continuing on in John 3.16, it says that he gave his only son, his one and only son for us. With the purpose that whoever believes in him should not perish. This is God's purpose for giving his only son up to pay for our sins in his death on the cross. That whoever believes in him. What does it mean to believe in Christ? What does it mean to believe in him? It means more than acknowledging that Jesus existed. It means more than even acknowledging that he died and rose again and that he can save. It means that you are relying totally upon him, that you are trusting in him, that you are confident in him to save. So one illustration of faith in Jesus that receives eternal life is the way a small child trusts his parents. So we have this slide of, you'll recognize from the backside, it's Greg and Hudson. Hudson's really a whole lot cuter on the front even than he is in the back. Greg, I don't know about, but I guess we could say Greg's pretty cute too. Jesus had said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God or eternal life like a child shall not enter it. And so this kind of faith that receives eternal life in Christ is like a childlike trust in one's father. Not childishness, but childlike trust in his heavenly father. 
to provide what he needs. A child doesn't understand what he or she needs. He just understands that his father provides what he needs. And so our faith in Christ is like that. We don't fully understand even the depth of our need of salvation, and we don't understand, we can't explain how could Christ dying on the cross and raising, being raised again pay for my sins. We hear the scripture says it, we don't understand, we can't explain it. So with childlike faith, we say, I accept this is God's remedy for sin. This is his provision of eternal life for me. We trust him to do what he's promised in John 3.16. Just take that to the bank. Take it to the Lord and say, God, you said your son told us this is how he saves. I believe you. I trust in you to save me this way. Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ this way? That is the big question for the day. I hope we can all answer. Yes, I have trusted in Christ this way. But maybe you need another illustration of faith because that's a hard thing to grasp. So faith in another illustration goes like this. It's the story of a guy named Charles Blondin, French tightrope walker. Because I couldn't get Greg to walk a tightrope, we don't have a picture for this one. But he became world famous in June of 1859 when he walked on a tightrope stretched over a quarter mile across the Niagara Falls. He became the first person to accomplish this amazing feat. He walked across 160 feet above the waterfalls several times, each time with a different daring feat. Uh, Once he did it in a sack, another time he did it on stilts, another time he did it on a bicycle, he did it in the dark, and once even carrying a stove and cooking an omelet as he crossed the typhoon. So a large crowd gathered and a buzz of excitement ran along both sides of the riverbank, They oohed and awed as Blondin carefully walked across one dangerous step after another, blindfolded and pushing a wheelbarrow. Don't try this at home. So as he reached the other side, the crowd's applause was louder than the roar of the falls. Blondin suddenly turned around and said to the crowd, Do you think I can do this? Do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd shouted, Yes, yes, you are the great tightrope walker. You're the greatest one in the world. You can do anything. Okay, he said. You know what he's going to say now. Get in. (laughs) Nobody took him up on it. Except a couple months later, his manager rode on his back across the falls. So his manager, Harry Calcord, believed, he was the only one to believe, so as to trust Charles Blondin with his life. So must our faith in Jesus be more than merely acknowledging that he lived, died, rose, and he, that he can save us. We must trust in him from our heart. I don't mean that we work up in ourselves some extreme kind of faith. I mean that we rely upon him completely to save us. We recognize he is our only hope, our only hope for deliverance from eternal death and for receiving eternal life, that he is our only hope. That kind of faith that says, I don't trust in anyone or anything else but Jesus. You know, the people there uh, by the waterfall had a choice whether to cross or not. We don't have a choice. We're all facing death sooner or later. And so we need to figure out now, am I ready to face death? Do I have eternal life now? We need someone capable of getting us to the other side of life who can cross death's chasm and believe in him. That is Jesus. Now, the rest of this verse says, whoever believes in him should not perish, that is eternally, but have eternal life. He's comparing perishing to having eternal life. So not just physical death, because we all still die physically. He's talking about whoever believes in him 
shall not perish eternally. That is eternal separation from God. That's what we've said. Life is being with God. Death is being apart from God. Life and death understood that way. As if John 3.16 wasn't enough of a declaration of God's good intention for the world, Jesus assures us that God isn't secretly hoping the world doesn't believe and be saved. We see that in the next verse, John 3.17. That doesn't fit on the t-shirt. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. You know, I've seen in relationships, some marriages in particular, but other relationships as well, where one person is sinning against another. That happens occasionally. And um, after a while, the one being sinned against no longer hopes the other person will change. In fact, they hope that they will epically fail so they can be rid of that relationship. That is not God's heart. He is not secretly hoping we won't believe. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he should turn and live. The Lord doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is God's heart. He really desires for us to believe. He did not send Christ in the world to condemn the world. Uh, So when God sent his son into the world, he desired that the world might be saved through his son. This is because, as the next verse, John 3.18, makes clear, that we all already were all liable to condemnation unless Jesus stepped in and did something and we put our trust in him. So John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because that's what our state is before God. Without remedy to sin, we stand liable to condemnation. So the one who believes in Jesus is not condemned, God does not condemn the one who trusts in his Son. This means if you don't believe in God's Son, you are already condemned. That's hard. You say, I don't like to think about God condemning me. I hate thinking about God condemning anyone. But we've got to understand that in John 3, 16 to 18, the whole context of that is this is the way God loved us. The problem was we were all liable to condemnation And in his love, he rescued us from that. So it's not hate speech for God to tell us the truth about what we're in danger of. It's fact, it's great love that he would even provide a way through his son. So we need to understand God's love in this way. Not just that he loved us in spite of our sin. He loved us and provided a way to rescue us from our sin. Some may say, I don't think I deserve to be condemned by God. Have you ever ever been wronged by someone? Wow. Nobody's ever... Okay. All right, trying to be gracious. Well, you've all been wronged by someone. I know it. If, if the, before the day's out, maybe I'll wrong you just to make sure you get the experience. See, this whole sermon's wrong. No, let's go. Um, have, if someone's wronged you and they refuse to take ownership of the extent they've wronged you, you've tried to help them understand how much they've wronged you and they just don't get it, that's how it is with us and God. We think, no, I don't deserve condemnation. I'm a pretty nice guy, pretty nice lady. I try to do the best I can. And God says, the best you can is not good enough because everything is infected by sin. And so we need to know that in order to receive Christ, the Son of God, who shares the very nature of God, by believing in his name, that's what it says in just John 3.18, if you do not believe 
you're condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is, the name represents who Christ is and what he has done. Believing in Christ as the Son of God, the only Savior for the world, the only Savior for you and for me. That's what he, that's who he is. So, for example, uh, a medical diagnosis, you can reject the doctor's diagnosis of your fatal disease in spite of his education, his experience, the test, the MRI, and refuse the cure, but that's foolish. And so, we need to accept the diagnosis that God gives us and the cure that he gives us for sin. So does having eternal life just mean that I won't be condemned when I stand before God after I die? Well, that's pretty important. Condemnation to eternal death is a huge thing to be delivered from. But what we'll see in this last point is that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So it's not just about not being condemned. It's about a life that begins now and will last forever. And we see this on the final slide, the slide that shows a picture of a road. The life of Jesus begins now and continues on. I'm going to ask a question. Do you want eternal life? Yes. Got a few yeses in that one. Good. Yes. All right. I got... So uh, I'll answer that for you, though. Yes, in one sense, you want it because God's designed us in order to live forever with him. That's the first point. God designed us to live forever with him. So when sin entered the world, that didn't change that desire or that design. It just corrupted it. But on the other hand, if maybe you don't want eternal life because eternal life means being forever with God. And so sin causes us to not want to be with God. We don't want God on his terms. So yes and no. Uh, God created us to live forever with him and to find our highest joy and satisfaction in living forever with him. So when Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into humanity, it didn't obliterate that desire to live forever, but because sin alienated alienated us relationally from God, we try to find satisfaction and joy in this life without God. That's why the old songwriters put it so eloquently back when lyrics had substance. You ready for this? I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were writing lyrics that expressed the desire of every human heart. We were designed to find satisfaction and joy in God. That didn't change. What changed is satisfaction and joy not in God, but in the things of this world. And so, it's like uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we are made for another world. So yes, you want eternal life, but until Jesus, in whom is eternal life, and who is eternal life, in whom is eternal life, and who is eternal life, enters your life, you don't want eternal life with God. You still hope to find satisfaction in this life that can only be had in eternal life with God. You want the gift without the giver. And you can't have it that way. 
It's like I heard someone saying on the radio this morning, I don't believe in the principles of Christmas. I, I love the creativity it inspires, though. It's the same kind of thinking. I don't want the substance of the faith. I just want the benefits. I love the good stuff that comes with it. And God says, no, in order to have the good stuff, you've got to have me, the good stuff being eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean this life is not important. In God's plan of redemption, he has designed that it's in our short, finite lives here that we choose or neglect how we will spend eternity. Jesus has not left us to grope around for answers about how we can settle whether we have eternal life or not. And we've seen that in the passages we already looked at, but we're going to look at another scripture passage from John 5.24. In John 5.24, Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever hears my word. So to hear Jesus' word, you only hear the word of God, you only hear God's words through Jesus. He doesn't give us the luxury of saying, well, I think I believe in God, just whoever I conceive him to be, but uh, I, I don't really want Jesus. And, and Jesus says, no, it's both. You, in order to believe in God, you must believe in me. In order to believe in me, you, you believe in God. So if you hear my words, the words that he has spoken about having eternal life, then you're believing God's mandate about eternal life. If you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe God. If you hear and believe Jesus' words about how we have eternal life, you have it. Not just will have it one day, you have life now. Life begins now and lasts forever. And you do not come into judgment. That's the great news. Condemnation, no condemnation. But you have passed from death to life. You will still die physically but you will not be condemned to eternal death, to eternal separation from God. Because by faith in Christ, you receive what you need most as a result of the first Christmas, the righteousness and life of Jesus Christ gifted to you. Do not leave this life without Jesus. It's really dangerous to leave this life without Jesus. And today would be a great day to do that, if you haven't. You need Christ himself. But you say dying physically still sounds scary and bad. That just sounds really, I don't want that. Um, it is bad. It is scary. But that's why we need, why and why Jesus gives us life that is guaranteed to survive death because it will at last be freed from all presence of sin. And because you will be sin free, like right now we still struggle with sin even though we, as, if we put our trust in Christ we are forgiven. We still struggle with remnants of it. Um, but one day we will be completely sin-free, and that will mean that we can put on our new Christmas clothes, new bodies, that will never get sick, tired, out of shape, uh, will not need cosmetics, will not need medication, no aches, no pains, no death. We can't imagine that, but that's what we have coming if we're in Christ. So we all long for relief from the consequences of sin being in the world, of sin being in us, Sometimes we wonder why Jesus doesn't just come back and finish it right now, bring his kingdom in. That would be fine with us. He hasn't done it yet. To finish his plan, we get tired of the corruption of this world. We get weary of suffering and death of loved ones that we still have to face. We, this is a hard time of year. We all have, if we've been around at all, we have loved ones that we're missing. It's hard, hard, hard. Facing our own death and the death of loved ones, it just gets tiresome and weary and it's grieving. We long to be free of that. Jesus' friend Martha 
When her brother Lazarus, who was also Jesus' friend, had died, she said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said to her, well, your brother will rise again. And she said she believed that he would rise on the last day. But Jesus then said to her, this is in John 11, 25, 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus is asking us to believe that he not just gives resurrection and life, but he is the resurrection and life. Yes, there will be a resurrection at the end of this present age, but you need to know that Jesus is the resurrection and life right now. Life with him starts now and goes on after physical death because Jesus is your life. He is life for us. And life is only found in Jesus. And you will be with him one day in a resurrected body, perfect, incorruptible, fantastic looking, amazing, awesome, forever. I mean, we'll just be looking at one another saying, man, are you good looking. It's going to be incredible. But what difference does life with Jesus make now? I won't tell you life with Jesus now will fix all your problems because that would be a lie. It just won't. But it will begin to transform your perspective on even the worst situations you face. So I'm going to close with a letter that reveals a heart shaped by the very redeeming love, the hope of the gospel, by which Anita Smith and her husband Ronnie were saved. This is an open letter from a widow of Ronnie Smith to the Libyan people, dated just a few days ago, December 12th. And I'm going to do a lot of explaining. Hopefully you'll hear the connections in this gospel-saturated heart of a widow. My husband and best friend, Ronnie Smith, loved the Libyan people. For more than a year, Ronnie served as a chemistry teacher in a school in Benghazi. So just make sure you understand, they, they were, they've been there for a year, there with their little son, Hosea, and he was teaching chemistry in a school, and he's a Christian. And he would gladly have given more years to Libya if unknown gunmen had not cut his life short on December 5th, 2013. So December 5th, 2013, he was gunned down as he was jogging out in front of the U.S. Embassy. Ronnie and I came to Libya because we saw the suffering of the Libyan people, but we also saw your hope, and we wanted to partner with you to build a better future. Libya was very different from what we had experienced before, but we were excited to learn about Libyan culture. Ronnie grew to love you and your way of life as I did. Ronnie really was Libya's best friend. Friends and family from home were concerned about our safety, as were some of you. We talked about this more times than I can count, but we stayed because we believed the Libyan people were worth the risk. Even knowing what I know now, I have no doubt that we would have made the same decision all over again. Ronnie loved you all so much, especially his students. He loved to joke with you, tell stories about you, help you with your lives, and challenge you to be all that you could be. He did his best to live out his faith humbly and respectfully within a community of people with a different faith, Ronnie being a Christian and everybody around him being Muslims. To his attackers, and this is just crazy, 
to his attackers, I love you and forgive you. How could I not? For Jesus taught us to love our enemies, not to kill them or seek revenge. Jesus sacrificed his life out of love for the very people who killed him, as well as for us today. His death and resurrection opened the door for us to walk on the straight path to God and peace and forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, Ronnie is with Jesus in paradise now. Jesus did not come only to take us to paradise when we die, but also to bring peace and healing on this earth. Ronnie loved you, and because Ronnie loved you, because God loves you. Ronnie loved you because God loved him. Not because Ronnie was so great, but because God is so great. To the Libyan people, I always expected that God would give us a heart to love you, but I never expected you to love us so much. We came to bless you, but you have blessed us much more. Thank you. Thank you for your support and love for Ronnie and for our son, Hosea, and me. Since Ronnie's death, my love for you has increased in ways that I never imagined. I feel closer to you now than ever before. I hear people speaking with hate, anger, and blame over Ronnie's death. But that's not what Ronnie would want. Ronnie would want his death to be an opportunity for us to show one another love and forgiveness because that's what God has shown us. I want all of you, all the people of Libya, to know I am praying for the peace and prosperity of Libya. May Ronnie's blood shed on Libyan soil encourage peace and reconciliation between the Libyan people and God. Sincerely, Anita Smith. Some of the comments on the news websites about, it, about Anina were really harsh and crude, saying that she was foolish and using worse language than that. It doesn't make sense. That kind of love does seem crazy. It doesn't make sense to the world. In fact, the Bible says the gospel of Christ is to those who are perishing foolishness. Anita is, is living with Jesus now. She's, her husband has gone on to be with the Lord. He will not be with her this Christmas. But she gets the gospel, the heart of Jesus. She trusts in Jesus and has eternal life. Already her life is being transformed by Jesus' life in her, though not yet free from suffering and sin. So I want you to consider whether or not you have ever embraced Jesus Christ in the way that she has. That that indescribably great love that Jesus has for lost people, for people who are sinners, for people who don't have life in themselves, for people who are guilty before God, people who are liable to condemnation. God loves you, and he wants you to have that relationship with him. So that's what we've been talking about with this acronym, GOSPEL, G-O-S-P-E-L. We'll look at these six points, and then I'm going to ask you to consider if you're ready to receive Jesus or not, if you haven't yet. So here's the story. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. I know there must be some folks here who have never received Jesus. I would love to pray with you and talk with you this morning. 
I invite you to come up. I'm just going to be standing up here and worshiping, singing. I would love to have the privilege of talking to you more about how you can know and receive eternal life with Jesus Christ. Maybe you have made a profession of faith in the past. You just don't know where you're at. You just don't know where you're at with Jesus today. What matters is you know you want him now. So I just invite anyone who has that burden on their heart. Maybe you don't have a clue where you're at with with Jesus, but you just want to know him more, or you want to know him for the first time. I'm going to be right up here and invite you to come up. And if there's more people than I can handle, there's going to be other people to come join. So please, please come and let's talk about what it is to receive eternal life from Jesus Christ.